So I understand tonight that you want teachings on the six paramitas. Do you want them in Kerim or Zogrim? Zogrim. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay. Doesn't matter. Understand that the six paramitas are not something you do. They are something that arise spontaneously when you get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> the idea that these are rules you are supposed to tightly hold and follow is Kerim. In Zogrim, recognizing nature of mind and recognizing that it is nature of mind it's awareness itself which is recognizing nature of mind. And in that recognition, the six paramitas are a description of how the dance of phenomena arises spontaneously out of that. For that to happen, you gotta get out of the way. Because for as long as you are grasping, I got to do it right, you're in the way. Your shadow falls upon it and you won't see clearly. As long as you are grasping, this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, and all the entire embroidery of explanations told by the little voice that keeps talking to you in your mind, which is your own voice and your mother's voice and every teacher you've ever had's voice. And you know that little voice? For as long as you are paying attention to what that's saying, you will be trapped in the confusion of this's and that's. And your six parameters will not dance freely and spontaneously as they do. For example, the first paramita, beginning with the paramita of generosity. Do you remember that? Generosity? The paramita of generosity. There is generosity of form, of body. There is generosity of intent, of speech. And there is generosity of mind, of thought. The first is easiest. Go give a quarter to a beggar, generosity of body. Hang a bird feeder, feed the critters, generosity of body. But as soon as you start worrying about what that beggar is going to buy with that quarter, you start attempting to control the results and get something out of the spontaneously arising gener generous impulse, you're going to squish it. Generosity of body, of form, the giving of gifts does not mean force yourself to give more than you can and exhaust yourself. That would be silly. And it would not be generous. If you do that, it's so that you can later go, see what you made me do? When you give more than you can. Because you can't say no. 
your time, your money, your energy, your love. You will be caught up in the rebound of that. That is not the spontaneously arising open-hearted generosity. If there were a kitten, do you all like cats? <laughs> Anybody here who doesn't like cats? Uh, for you, a puppy? Well, a pu do you like dogs? Okay, for you dog people, I'd like you to imagine a puppy. And for you cat people, a kitten. About six weeks old for the kitten. Little bit more than that for a puppy. That sort of really cute wiggly stage for puppies, where they lick everything and are just inherently happy and curious. That little stage of kittens where they'll, they'll bat at things, but they're gentle, and their paws are soft, and they purr. If suddenly there arose in your hands here a puppy or a kitten, what would you want to do? You would feel to be generous with it, to offer it comfort, a toy, a playfulness. This would arise spontaneously, not because you thought you should. You just feel like doing that. This is true generosity of form, of body. If it feels tight, you're doing it because you think you're supposed to. Now, there are in Kram approach practices where you take an object that you are attached to in your right hand and you give it to your left hand. Feel attached to it with your left hand, give it to your right hand. You keep doing that until you can give it to somebody else's hand. There are lots of different practices that are done on purpose, but you asked for the Zogchen. Get the fuck out of the way and let it arise. And don't squish it because you're worried about what ifs. But do not take it to the extent that also there's a mid middle way of how, how to be generous with form. And it is not to either extreme of giving everything away unless you happen to be able to do that. But don't think you should do that and try to do that if that is not arising spontaneously. I've known people who have had that arise spontaneously if they've taken off to be a sadhu in the forest or something and what few possessions they have they gave away first. I've known people who saw their death coming and quickly gave everything away. They wouldn't be bothered by it while dying. My mother had an amazing collection of scarves going back, you know, until she was a young woman. Beautiful silk scarves. And when she was getting towards dying, you know, I think at the time we had the Bon Voyage party for her. She was like getting into her last month and decided to throw a Bon Voyage party. And she gave all the scarves away and all her stuff away, except for, you know, the few bits of medical equipment, the commode and stuff that she had there because she needed it for dying. And she had so much fun. 
freaked everybody out. She lived in a one of those places where the elderly and those who are not physically hale can get a cheap rent, but you have your own apartment. So she lived in one of those and she arranged to take the hall to have her big bon voyage party. And I guess the social worker or somebody of the place was like, well, where are you going? So oh, I'm dying. <laughs> That's a big trip. <laughs> I will be going far. <laughs> and the social worker is like, <laughs> no idea what to do with that. But she was having fun with it. She was 80. If you do give everything away, it should be because it arises for you to do so. Not because you think you oughta or you want people to think you're such a fine practitioner because you did. Does that make sense? If you see something and it provokes you to be generous to it, go ahead. With common sense retained. Gentlemen, do not give away the grocery money needed by your family. I've seen guys do that when they get over-enthusiastic. Wife's going to kill them. And then they still expect dinner on the table. It's like, wait a minute. Do you understand what I'm talking about, about generosity of body? In order to get out of your own way, and let this arise completely spontaneously without breaking the common sense that said, yeah, but I still have to pay rent, so I'm keeping that. But you can have the rest. I hope it's going to be enough to whatever you wanted to resolve or fix for somebody. You need to be able to see your mind. Not as you think it is, but as it actually is. This is the true basis of open awareness from which the six paramitas can arise completely spontaneously. The more occurrences, when it occurs to you, let's say you're going through your stuff and you notice, oh, that's a pretty thing. I never wear it anymore. It would look great on Amy. Now I think I'll keep it. Second thought, pull back. Examine that second thought. What's it all about? Why are you pulling back? Attachment. As long as you feel yourself to not have enough or to be in danger of losing what you have, you will experience attachment and you will not be able to arise generosity spontaneously. Gen we're still on generosity of the body. We haven't even touched of speech and intent. So it has to arise from a sense of richness. But it also causes, the more you allow it to arise, the greater sense of richness. Start with something little that's easy. In Tibetan Dharma practice, there's a firm belief that you should always start at the easy end because life is hard enough. 
So, if you're going to visit a friend and your garden is in bloom, pick some. If you like recreational shopping at the second-hand store and you have a very bloomy garden, keep your eye out for beautiful vases. You're going to visit someone, bring something. This is anyway a standard. You never visit a Tibetan without bringing something. You just don't do it. If you were walking by and they drag you in for a cup of tea, you can. If you can't find anything in your pockets. <clears throat> but if you go and you knew you were going, you got to bring something. Do you guys do that around here? It's a wonderful opportunity to both clean out your closet <laughs> and allow the practice of the paramita of generosity to arise spontaneously. Why are you holding back? What I have might not be good enough for them. Ego. Oh, well, I, I, I was there yesterday. Thought. Confusion. Do you see how you get in your own way of allowing this to happen? How many times when you've been walking around town have you noticed someone who's wearing something that looks really good on them? Or who has a really cute dog or anything about which you can offer a compliment. Why don't you? I can be walking somewhere in a grocery store and see somebody with a nice hat and say, oh, style and hat, I like it, and continue on about my business. If I don't stop and try to create a conversation out of it, I'm obviously not trying to pick them up which could be the misunderstanding. Hey, I look like a cougar. <laughs> However, if I'm just giving a compliment and going about my business, it is unlikely to be taken amiss. And even if it is taken amiss, they're unlikely to scream or cause me a problem. So I'm free to do that. Do you ever do that? It's fun, isn't it? Anybody ever do that with you when you just had something like cool, like funny earrings that you'd made or a cool hat or a jacket? Feels good, doesn't it? So why don't we do that all the time? Why are we holding back from the possibility of offering generosity of speech? Why, even among our friends, are we so busy focusing on what's wrong that we make each other miserable. It's not necessary. This doesn't mean be all smarmy. Okay? It's allow it to arise when it does. Don't push. Just as with generosity of body and giving away objects, money, food, whatever. Don't push. Be open to it. Do you understand generosity of speech? It's a little more fiddly because it's not only the offering of compliments. It's intent. 
that you use your speech to say things that you intend to benefit. Passive-aggressive words don't work here. There is an intent to increase, but not a push, a wish, like wishing on a star and then forgetting about it. But it's somewhere in there, a little intent that the joyousness, the open-heartedness, the openness of your mandala, of all your relations, which includes, you know, the bugs in your gut, they're your, they're your relations. Your relatives, they're your relations, difficult though they may be. We've all got difficult relatives. The clerks, the people met in passing, all of that. It's a deep, low-grade intent that the happiness quotient, that the openness, that the relaxedness of the entire mandala can grow, can open up. Questions on generosity of speech? Yes, Onalaya. I have a question about truthfulness. So, for example, if you have a good friend and you recognize that there is discord in your relationship and you speak it, but you speak it with, with an open-heartedness, not aggression, not, not um, confrontational. Mm -hmm. almost like an offering you know is that would that consider generosity too only if it worked <laughs> okay because there are moments you know, there are moments yeah. where there is an opening and a spontaneously arising of what you're speaking of yeah. but if you're holding on to the speech until you can catch them yeah even if you intend it that way, it's not going to go in that way because the situation has not brought it forth at a time when it can be so. Got it. Thank you. So, no, you can't do that on purpose. Right. You can't go to some and say, we need to work this out. Uh, guys, if your wife comes to you and say, we need to work this out, what's the first physical sensation you have? Your gut Well, Yeah. I mean, women too. Your gut clenches if your friend comes to you with this. So that's not quite the way that would be generous, even though it might be truthful. But if there's patience in there, I'm, I'm trying to find a... You can't do it on purpose on a lie. That's what I was going to say. You know, sometimes when you relax into a moment, and then you relax into the next moment. It's not patience as in thinking, I'm going to wait. No, it's not that. This won't happen. This synergistic arising of the clearing of, clearing of the issue verbally by the participants can't happen when you are holding on to the I am this and they are that. 
rather than simply allowing the slide of the interconnection to arise as it will and allowing this conversation, if it does, to arise spontaneously in the slide of interconnectivity without either node hanging on to itself. Y'all wanted it in Zogchen. <laughs> At any point you can ask me to go back to Krim, which is a little easier. I have a feeling that I understand what you're saying. To experience this, find the experiencer. When there is an issue between you and another person, first find what is experiencing the issue. From the aspect of seeing that as it is, allow the interconnection to proceed as it will with an openness to resolution or non-resolution without any agenda or grasping of outcome. This is generosity of speech. You can they do it on purpose. You can practice the six paramitas according to Krim on purpose. And many do. Those are in the usual six paramita teachings. Do this, do this, do this. Have you had those already somewhere? You haven't had teachings on them? Yes, you have. I have, yes. Yeah. Most of you have or have read it in a book. From the aspect of Zogchen, there is no one doing it. From the aspect of Zogchen, there aren't participants. There is only a participation. Mm, you need to see this more clearly that I'm pointing at before this will make sense. In order to clearly perceive natural mind, you will find it easier to do when your channels are in alignment. That's the old make yourself comfortable. Your attention, that pain of attention that we do in life, your attention follows your eyes. If you look out there, your attention will go out there. If you look up there, you cannot look up there without paying attention to what is up there. Steering wheel. From beginningless time, we sentient beings, in our confusion, have been obsessively focusing our attention on our thoughts, on what we are thinking, on our feelings, on what we are feeling, and on the sensations of our six sense organs, our perceptions. All day today, what have you paid attention to that is not one of those things? Anyone? See, you've been doing it all day, haven't you? And yesterday, too. And the day before, and the day before that, and so on, to, to infinity. 
you have been compulsively obsessing with phenomena, both inner and outer. We use the word phenomena to refer to the inner phenomena of thoughts and feelings and the outer phenomena of stuff. Trees, water, bell, building, fan. And we experience stuff via our sense organs. If you cannot perceive something with your sense organ, you cannot know it is there. There could be any number of sounds going on. Whole world of sound that is either above or below the range of your hearing. There could be any number of things which reflect only ultraviolet or infrared light which are invisible to you. Should your dog be able to speak and you ask him, he will tell you that the information available in smell and the smell pictures all around us are incredible, but you're nose blind. You can't even see half of what he is so interested in on the walk. The entire external universe that you experience, you first perceive light, shape, sound, taste, smell, touch, feeling with your sense organs. And then you interpret those sensations with your thoughts and name objects. This isn't a glass of water until you name it. And you're all pretty sure that this is a glass of water, aren't you? Sorry, guys. Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> we do this so that the really straight people won't be offended with stick it in a water bottle. <laughs> See, you really don't know. All you have is your sensory perception of a glass of clear liquid and then your interpretation that the llama is drinking water. You made that up. It's the nice thing about vodka. <laughs> Everybody always makes up water. When it's me, Lama wouldn't be sitting there with a glass of vodka. No, of course it's water. I can get away with all sorts of shit like that. The entire world that you are experiencing, the entire gamut of all your experiences, is an interpretation of the sensations of your sense organs in thought, and then you get to have feelings about what you thought it is. How do you feel about this being vodka? How do you feel about this being water? You feel differently, don't you? Maybe if you think it's vodka, you want some, whereas if you think it's water, you're not all that thirsty. 
Maybe you approve, maybe you disapprove. But you'll never know. Sometimes we pretend it's iced tea and I have whiskey instead. Are you for real? No, neither are you. None of us are for real. We make ourselves up with our thoughts and our interpretations of our sensory perceptions. We think we're like this and we're like that. And we believe every damn thing we think. It's not for real. It's a thought. What are your thoughts made of? Get a look at them while you're thinking them. Are you asking me? I am. <laughs> um, my thoughts come from my past experience. No. What are they made of? Are they made of tissue paper? Are they made of rock? What are they made of? Fragments. Substance. Fragments of memory. They're made of memory, and what is memory made of? Substance. What substance? Can you... Uh, how much does it weigh? It's fragmentary. Okay. And Fragments of rock is called gravel. Gravel has weight. What's it a fragment of? Past. My past lives and my current life. Your thoughts are made of fragments of memories. Mm -hmm. What are memories made of? You're not going to see it unless your channels are in alignment. This is true of all of you. If you attempt to see your mind with your channels out of alignment, you will see something sideways. If you are at all twisted in how you sit, you're going to tend to see something which is actually an increase of confusion rather than clarity. This is because the thoughts ride on the chi in the channels and the way your chi moves will determine how you think. So I strongly recommend if you wish to get a look at what your thoughts are made of, any of you, which is actually rather important since they've been leading you around by the nose from beginningless time. They're the king of you. You do everything you tell yourself to do in thoughts. You're here tonight because you thought about it and decided with thought to get here. They're in charge. You're absolutely obedient to your thoughts. You ever think something that wasn't true? A lot of it seemed like a good idea at the times. And yet the one right now believe it implicitly. Oops. Your thoughts, if you can see both where they occur, and I'm being very literal in this where, in your nose, your right eyebrow, your left eyebrow, 
There's a way to do this. Make a picture. How many of you are visual and how many are audio? May have visual hands. Audios? So for you visual people work with pictures, audio people work with an imagined song, an imagined tune. Visual people visualize an image. Let's do an umbrella. Audio people imagine, audialize a tune, hear it in your mind's ear. Visualize the umbrella in your mind's eye. Now, I'll go, I'm going to talk visual, but you audio people just switch it to sound and, and do the same thing. See the picture of the umbrella? Where is it? The picture, not the umbrella. Not the umbrella you remember. Here? Yeah, where's that? You got to find it. Don't give up. Find where the picture be happening. This is the first step. Everybody wants Sogchen. Big word. Famous word. The only way to perceive in the view of Sogchen is to find your mind. With your mind, not with your intellect. Do not think about where the umbrella is. Feel around for it. Is it inside your body or outside your body? This will be easiest to do if you remove your glasses, align your channels, remove your glasses, and unfocus your eyeballs. For those of you who wear glasses, by removing them, your eyeballs will automatically lose their focus. It's easier. For those of you who don't wear glasses, well, you'll just have to do it anyway. with your eyeballs allowed to lose their point focus and open the gaze into a diffused open gaze, relaxed and natural, but not looking at anything. Place your attention, take your attention and with it examine all through your body to see if you can find somewhere in there the picture of the umbrella.
If you cannot find it anywhere inside your body, then look outside your body. Is it in front of you or behind you, to the left or the right, above or below? Keep looking for where the picture occurs. Your mind's eye is in your mind. Mind the thinker of thoughts, the visualizer of visualizations, the audializer of audializations. Where's the tune playing? Find the source of the sound that you have imagined in your mind's ear. If you think with thoughts that you have found that thought in a particular place, see if you can move it. Try visualizing something bigger. big tree, as if you were sitting under it looking up into the branches. Where's that picture? Won't fit between your ears. Stop with the naming. You do not have to name where you find it. The naming of it will limit it. Simply notice and allow your orifice of attention to open from its habitual point focus into the open awareness that perceives the infinite vastness of mind itself. We call this chuku, if you want to name it. But it's not a thing or a place. It is beyond the concepts of center or edge, although those ideas can happily arise within it and dissolve within it. It has always been there, for it is where all your thoughts are born, where all your thoughts dissolve. 
open, empty, awake, aware, bright, luminous, lucid. You can hang these words upon it, but none of them are completely descriptive. Open up your attention into the totality of Semni. It is not in a place and there is no thingness to it. And yet it is perceivable. For it perceives itself. When the awareness is not constrained by thises and thats, the seer sees itself. And all the thises and thats, thoughts, feelings, and sensations arise in this open awareness as this open awareness. All thoughts arise in mind and dissolve in mind. For there is nowhere else for them to be. The same for feelings and perceptions. Who sees this open awareness in the arisings of thoughts? feelings and perceptions, who sees mind? There is no thingy other than mind to be seeing. Mind, mind sees itself. It's your mind, always has been. Infinitely open, awake, aware, dancing with the creativity of phenomena none of which is made of anything other than the open awareness in which it dances. And the you of this moment, just as you are, is nothing more than the phenomena of this moment. Your thoughts, feelings, and perceptions of right now, right here, is the here and now. And you are no more than that. Open awareness, alive and vital with the dance of phenomena. No thing in nowhere. Even though you are accustomed to the illusion of point focus and hanging on to thises and thats, there are no thises and thats to be hung on to, nor is there any entity there to grasp. And in the direct awareness of this, the awareness itself, aware of its open, empty creativity, spontaneously dances the dance of the six paramitas for the sake of all living beings. What else 
could it be? And so generosity, morality, perseverance, patience and perseverance all arise and spontaneously lack duration or substance. As do all phenomena, there is nothing solid to grab onto. This is how the six paramitas arise spontaneously in Dzogchen as Dzogchen. And one is naturally completely generous of body, speech, and mind. Morality of open awareness arises spontaneously needing no rules to follow. For it is of the moment. There is no question of patience, for there is no then and now. No goal, no agenda. And yet all such things as goals and agendas arise and dissolve in the moment of their arising. There is nothing to grasp. All is accomplished. Continue allowing in perseverance the free flow of phenomena to flow freely. There's not a damn thing you can do about it anyway. It do that. You just think you're stuck. That's a thought. It's made of the same thing as all the others. This is where meditation and thinking arise as the same thing. And there is no confusion other than wisdom and no wisdom separate from confusion. Wisdom itself. The dance of phenomena, no thing and nowhere, nothing to grasp, nothing to attain nothing to be. Does that to some extent answer your question, Onalaya? But to return to your question, from a Karim perspective, where one is trapped in the karma of one's past arising as one's present, and cannot see the emptiness inherent in that, cannot see that those little bitty particles of memories of phenomena are no thing in nowhere, utterly lacking in either substance or duration, but perceives them as real and solid, then one practices the six paramitas on purpose. And you consciously give away what you can give away without harming yourself or forcing it upon anyone. Your intent is the benefit of all beings without any investment in their benefiting 
in whether it works or not. Whether it actually helps them or not. That's a hard one. When you give money to someone, to a beggar, you want that beggar to be satisfied and fed and there. Uh, and if that beggar does not do that, but simply throws it on the lake or the fire because it's a crazy homeless guy or spends it on dope and offs himself with it because that was what he wanted the money for. You're mortified because you were so invested in what was done with your generosity and that's not generous. Generosity of mind is to leave space for others to be as they are. It's not just interpreting the guy who cuts you off in traffic as someone in a hurry rather than some damn idiot. <laughs> it's to actually open your heart to those around you and leave them be as they are without needing them to fulfill your agenda. Without trying to make them love you, give you something, respect you, or anything else, or even be kind to you. The biggest, most generous thing you can give to another being is to leave them as they are. This is why we are forbidden to teach when no one asks a question. All Tibetan Lamas, even in a public teaching, somebody who is here has asked the question that they are answering and ask them to come and answer on this topic or this question. Otherwise, it's proselytizing. We don't do that. Amal Lobsang, one of my first medical teachers, a Tibetan doctor, I remember there was a guy, and he decided, a hippie guy, in a hotel room, and he tried to kill himself by taking poison drugs, whatever. And his friends were upset about this, so they went and got the doctor, who was Amma's saying, and she came up, and she entered the room, and he yelled at her, I don't want a doctor! I want to die! And she said, oh, I'm terribly sorry. There's been a misunderstanding. I thought you wanted a doctor. And she walked out, went and got a cup of tea, hung around to see if maybe he'd change his mind or not. But she wasn't, if he wanted to die, that was his choice. And if he'd lost consciousness without changing his mind, nobody would have touched him to save him among the Tibetans. We just don't do that. Not gotta leave them as they are. Unless they ask you. He actually was so shocked by that that he decided he didn't want to die and had his friends call her back. He had not expected this reaction, being a Western hippie. When one of my best friends was slowly bleeding to death in a cow shed, I sat on the wall frequently. Not I didn't sleep there, but I was frequently to be seen sitting on the wall out front 
doing my mala, reading a book for four or five days until she got over her shit and asked me to save her life. She was embarrassed. <coughs> Still alive. The biggest gift you can give any being is to leave them as they are and not try to fix them. And boy, is that hard when it's your kid. And yes, you are obliged to fix them a little bit until they get to be 16 or 18 and won't let you anymore. <laughs> They'll tell you when you can't do that anymore. This is the generosity, parameter of generosity, according to Zogchen. Are there any questions? Yes. What about the type of person who has an ongoing issue for years and years, complains about it, doesn't specifically say, what should I do or what do you recommend? But Then they seem to want to do that, and you let them. You let the, and Some people just enjoy the complaining. That's okay. You don't have to hang out with them if it bothers you, but you don't have to stop them or fix their issue if they mm -hmm. haven't asked you. Probably they might just like an ear to hear the complaint, especially if the issue's their husband, which it often is when someone complains for years of a 30, they're, but they're not going to get divorced. They're, they're stuck. They're going to stay with them, but they just love to rat on him. And his socks. <laughs> People are all of us. Would you not like to be left to be as you are? Unless you asked for someone to fix something? Isn't it intrusive when do-gooders come and try to repair you? Especially those who think they found the answer? Give the same gift, generosity of mind. And if the person is committing suicide because they're confused and you stop them from jumping off the building and they thank you for it years down the road, how does that fit Then that business? arose spontaneously for you to do that uh, properly. So you wouldn't be letting him be at that moment when they're trying to either overdose on drugs. You couldn't if you were not going to. You see, you think that there's a you and there's a him. So therefore you need to pay attention to the rules of the six parameters. If there's a you and there's a him, it is very hard for you as you not to react as you to his reactions as him. So your personality may be such that you have to save him. Because that's who you are and you can't help it. In which case, that's what's going to happen. But it is not right or wrong to help a person who hasn't asked but it is not very generous 
no rule is forever. There may be is complete. No rule is going to lack exceptions. If you are spontaneously arising in the moment without attachment to self or outcome or other, then whatever you do will be in harmony with the arisings. And it will spontaneously occur for the benefit of sentient beings because you are interactive, interwoven, interpenetrating with all sentient beings. But if you don't feel that way, then you will have to take your best guess in the moment with everything you know about that momentary situation and base your decision on thought. Because that's all you'll have. Feels like instinct Which is often a kind of emotion. It's not wrong to pull the person off the building, but it might cause more strife than it resolves to keep trying to stick a screwdriver in your friend's ears and fix their life. You know anybody who compulsively goes around doing that? I have known people who compulsively go around doing that. I have been someone who compulsively goes around doing that. It doesn't serve them well. Yes? How would you apply that to the case of a pet that's dying? In that situation, you would do the best decision you could with everything you knew. There are moral rules in the Tibetan system not to kill. And many people take all these rules literally. Never kill. So what happens when your kid has an ear infection, bacterial? Bacteria are alive. You're going to give your kid the antibiotics? Yes, you are, and you're going to kill those bacteria. So, yes, there is a rule not to kill. None of the rules given as rules can be kept in absoluteness. You will have to be, because you're the person on the spot, making the best decision you can, which may be beneficial or not, in that moment, other llamas will tell you, never help the pet with the final injection. I've heard that it can interfere with the karma of the animal by electing to... Karma is infinite. If you interfere with this bit, the next bit comes up. It's not like we only had a limited amount of it and you interfered with it. Yes, it may be that there is an intensity of karma to experience this. But if that experience is broken, that intensity of karma to continue experiencing this may not be the next one that comes up, 
giving opportunity to perhaps be reborn human, become a monk, and get at that karma, which didn't actualize yet, which was most unpleasant, with some Vajrasattva. So yes, you're interfering, but you don't know if you're interfering beneficially or not. It's not an automatic. I'm sorry, other lamas will give you absolutes. I can't do that. But I can send you to many who will. <laughs> if you would prefer them. I'm just hanging out here for those who don't like absolutes. <laughs> Other questions? Yes? I have been struggling um, with my relationship with my mother. Um, my father died a year ago, and my mother has been in incredible distress since then. And I find my, I, I'm struggling with my lack of generosity with her because this situation of reversal of caregiver and and the person being cared for has a, arisen many things in me which mm -hmm. are not necessarily what I would wish them to be. Um, and I so I struggle because I'm the only family she has in London and I my my other family sort of wants me to be more, be more. And I struggle because internally I feel it's not, there's not much point me being there with her so much if I internally and emotionally I'm not, I don't want to be there. Would she like to go visit any of the other family members for a few months so that they can be more? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, which is worse, I guess. Should Why? I, should I be trying harder or should I just allow it to be as it is. What are you going to try harder to do? Be perfect? Be more patient, be more loving, be more compassionate. You can't. Those are feelings. You can't have them on purpose. That's intuitively how I feel. What you need to do is take care of yourself with practice of some kind with therapy of some kind, with fun of some kind, in such a way that that will change, not by forcing it. That won't work. The thing with emotions, when we resist our emotions, it does not go well. The teaching on working with emotions is not for tonight. <laughs> so you need to find a way to take care of yourself so that uh, what may be needed or what you would like to be arises spontaneously, but you won't get that by forcing it. You'll get the opposite. You know when you push on something, it feels like it's pushing back? Yeah. So maybe a month with your brother or sister while you have a whole month off to just take care of yourself 
and then a month with your other brother, sister, cousin, while you have another month off to take care of yourself, and then some time with you, because you're refreshed. It's, it's a thought. I'm not in your situation. I don't know how many brothers and sisters you have, what their situations are. Yeah, I don't know your story, but do consider taking care of yourself. There's something called a caregiver's burnout. Mm -hmm. It does not benefit the patient. Mm -hmm. However, when a patient, a person who you, the caregiver is caring for, the cared, is frightened or upset or dis in distress, they will often cling to a single caregiver and not let anyone else. That does not benefit them long term. And you look, sounds like you might be in a fairly long term situation. It's not like it's three weeks and she's on her way out. So you gotta find a way that you can be okay. <clears throat> You see, generosity of mind includes to yourself. If you are not generous with yourself, you can't be generous with anyone else. Let yourself be what you are. In any given moment, however fucked up, your thoughts, which have neither substance or duration, may decide to think you are in that moment. Leave it be. Does this help? It does, thank you. So I can't tell you how to solve the specific perceptible problem. Only that you need to be generous with yourself too. Other questions? So we move on to morality, if there are no further questions on generosity. Really? <laughs> ah. Okay, I'll teach you the parameter of morality next year. <laughs> In, in the meantime, how can you tell if something is gewa, leads to good karma, or digpa, leads to bad karma? We don't have virtue and sin. We're not Catholic. Gewa will feel expansive, opening, Not just to you, for instance, throwing crockery at your husband may feel to you expansive and opening at times, but it will not feel so to him while you're throwing it. So it's not you feeling the expansiveness openness. It's the entire mandala around you. As a result of these actions, does the entire mandala around me expand, relax, enjoy, be happy, feel joyousness, feel playful? 
not just you, all of us. Or digpa, which creates negative karma, does the entire mandala involved in this situation around me feel constrained, constricted, tightened, squished? So that's the short version. Generally, generally, rule of thumb. Don't abandon common sense. Gewa. Not you. All of you. Everything involved, including the bugs. Digpa. Feel the difference? So as you have to choose whether something, an action, is moral or not, look around. If I do this, is this going to increase the joyous, expansive, relaxedness of the entire mandala that I am interacting with? Or is it going to create constriction somewhere? That's just a rule of thumb. There's more to be said, but we'll have to do it next year. May all beings enjoy the utter expansiveness of the three jewels. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free. We are complete for tonight. <laughs>